Hello, and welcome to the Magic Music Review Podcast. I'm Jim Spangler, your host. Join me each episode as we talk about our love of Disney music. It could be a song, a movie, a short film, a Broadway show, a Disney theme park, or one of the countless other forms Disney music takes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey through the magic of Disney music on the Magic Music Review. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Magic Music Review podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the 1998 feature film Mulan. Um, It is considered an animated musical action comedy drama film. I always love those big, long descriptions of films. And it was produced by Walt Disney Feature Animation for Walt Disney Pictures. Um, It's based on the Chinese legend of Hua Mulan and was Disney's 36th animated feature. It was directed by Tony Bancroft and Barry Cook with a story by Robert D. Sansucci. Uh, the screenplay was by Rita Sow, Philip Lezebnik, Chris Sanders, Eugenia Bostwick Singer, and Raymond Singer. A lot of people write in this story, and sometimes it kind of feels that way. Sometimes the movie feels like it was written by committee instead of by one voice. That's just my personal opinion. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, it was released during the Disney Renaissance, Uh, And it was the first of three features produced primarily at the Disney Animation Studios in Disney MGM Studios in Orlando, Florida. Uh, It's no longer called that, but it was at the time Disney MGM Studios. So it was produced in Hollywood Studios, Florida. Uh, The development began in 94 when a number of artistic supervisors were sent to China to receive artistic and cultural inspiration. Imagine that. uh, Disney does that a lot. Send uh, Send their people away to get inspired by different cultures and what they see, especially if it's if a movie or attraction is specifically based in a culture. Mulan was pretty well received by critics and the public. Uh, it grossed $304 million, uh, and it earned a Golden Globe and Academy Award nominations, and it won several Annie Awards, including Best Animated Feature. Uh, direct-to-video sequel Mulan 2 was released in 2004, uh, and a live adaptation of the film is scheduled for November 2nd, 2018, to be released in the United States. Uh, the cast was a pretty strong cast, great cast. Uh, Ming-Na Wen was Fa Mulan, which is the hero of our story, and her singing voice was provided by the Broadway star Leah Salonga. Eddie Murphy was Mushu. B.D. Wong as Captain Lee Shang, uh, and his singing voice was provided by Donny Osmond. Uh, Miguel Ferreira was Shan Yu, Harvey Firestein was Yao, uh, Pat Morita was the Emperor, George Takai was the first ancestor. So really had some great vocal talents that they were using for this movie, which I love. So in 1989, uh, Disney Feature Animations Florida opened, and it only had about 40 to 50 employees. Uh, and its original purpose was to produce cartoon shorts and featurettes. Um, however, in late 93, Following several animation duties on Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and The Lion King, Disney executives were convinced to allow the feature animation studios to produce their first independent film. And about the same time, 
Disney feature animation developed an interest in Asian-themed legends, beginning with optioning several books by children's book author Robert D. Sansucci, who had a consulting relationship with Disney executive Jay Dyer. Around the same time, a short straight-to-video film titled China Doll about an oppressed and miserable Chinese girl who is whisked away by British Prince Charming to happiness in the West was in development. Uh, Thomas Shoemaker asked Suchi if he had any additional stories, in which Suchi turned in a manuscript based on the Chinese poem, The Song of Fa Mulan. Ultimately, Disney decided uh, to combine the projects into one project. The visual look uh, that they were looking for Fu Mulan um, designer Hans Bacher and art director Rick Sluter, along with Robert Walker, decided to establish a proper chronological location for the film in Chinese history. And since there was no general consensus at the time of Mulan's existence, uh, they based the visual time frame on the Ming and Qing dynasties. dynasties. An important element of Bacher's design was to turn the art style closer to Chinese painting with watercolor and simpler design. Um, which is also what we talked about as an approach that they took for Tangled to make it a simpler design, as opposed to the details of The Lion King and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Disney Animation uh, created some new technology for this movie uh, to create the 2000 Hun soldiers during the Hun's attack sequence, which is a pretty impressive sequence. The production team developed a crowd simulation software called Attila. Isn't that cute? Attila. Uh, the software allows thousands of unique characters to move um, independently, autonomously. Um, a variant of the program, called Dynasty, was used in the final battle sequence to create the crowd of 3,000 in the Forbidden City. Pixar's photorealistic Open API RenderMan was used to render the crowd. Another software development for the movie was the Faux Plane, which was used to add depth to flat two-dimensional paintings. Although uh, developed late in the production progress, Faux Plane was used in five shots, including the sequence which features the Great Wall of China and the final battle sequence when Mulan runs to the Forbidden City. During the scene in which the Chinese men are bowing to Mulan, the crowd is a panoramic film of real people bowing. It was edited into the animated foreground of the scene. Let's talk a little bit about the music. Um, in March of 94, Schwartz, Stephen Schwartz, was attached to compose the lyrics and music for the songs of the film. Um, following a research trip to China in June of 94, Schwartz was contacted by former Disney Studio Chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg to compose songs for the Prince of Egypt, and he agreed to do it. Peter Schneider, then the president of Walt Disney Feature Animation, threatened to have Schwartz named removed from any publicity materials for Pocahontas and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Michael Eisner phoned Schwartz and urged him to back out of his commitment to DreamWorks, which he refused, and he left the project. After Schwartz's departure, his three songs, Written in Stone, Destiny, and China Doll, were dropped amid story and character changes in 95. No bad feelings there, I'm sure. Uh, shortly after Disney Music Executives Chris uh, Montan heard Matthew Wilder's demo songs, for a stage musical adaptation of Anne Wright's Cry to Heaven, one of my very favorite books, and selected Wilder to replace Schwartz. David Zippel then joined to write the lyrics, and the film featured five songs composed by Wilder and Zippel, uh, with a sixth originally planned for Mushu, but dropped following Eddie Murphy's involvement with the character. 
As far as the film's score, Danny Elfman and Thomas Newman were considered to score the film, um, but English composer Rachel Portman was selected as the film composer. Uh, however, Portman became pregnant during production and decided to back out. Uh, following her departure, Randy Edelman, whose Dragonheart theme was used in the trailer, and Kataro uh, were considered, until Jerry Goldsmith became available and signed on after dropping out of another project. So the, the music for Mulan really went through a lot of changes, as you can see, a lot of different composers, um, which is not unusual for a film. It is a little unusual, though, for a musical uh, film, uh, so because that can cause a lot of turmoil and a lot of changes, and it can be very expensive to a film. Next, let's talk about the story, the plotline of Mulan. So we're going to review the plot now, and we're going to talk about the story a little bit. Um, if you have not seen the movie, this is a spoiler alert. We are going to talk about the whole movie. Uh, so feel free to fast forward three or four minutes to uh, get to the next section where we're actually speaking of music, talking about music. Um, so after the Huns have invaded Han China, the Chinese emperor orders a general mobilization. Conscription notices require that one man from each family uh, to join the Chinese army. Um, when Fa Mulan hears that her elderly father, Fa Zhu, uh, the only man in their family and an army veteran, is going to go to war, she becomes very upset. Taking her father's old armor, she disguises herself as a man so that she can enlist instead of her father. Uh, the anxious family quickly learn of her departure, and Grandmother Fa prays to the family ancestors for Mulan's safety. The ancestors then order their great stone dragon to protect Mulan. Mushu... A small dragon is sent to awaken the stone dragon, but accidentally destroys the stone dragon in the process. Mushu conceals this from the ancestors and resolves to protect Mulan himself. Reporting to training camp, Mulan is able to pass as a man, although her military skills are bad. Uh, Mushu provides some clumsy guidance on how to behave as a man, and under the command of Li Shang, Captain Li Shang, she and her fellow recruits Yao Ling and Qian Po gradually become trained warriors. Mushu, who wants to see Mulan succeed, creates a fake order from Shang's father, General Li, ordering Shang to follow the main Imperial Army into the mountains. Uh, the reinforcements sent out, but arrive at a burnt-out encampment and discover that General Li and his troops have been massacred by the Huns. As they solemnly leave the mountains, they are ambushed by the Huns, and Mulan cleverly uses a cannon to create an avalanche which buries most of the invader invaders. An enraged Shan Yu slashes her in the chest and her deception is revealed when the wound is bandaged. Instead of executing Mulan as the law requires, Shang spares her life but discharges her from the army. Mulan is left to follow alone as the recruits depart for the Imperial City to report the news of the Hun's destruction. However, it is revealed that several Hun warriors, including Shan Yu, have survived the avalanche, and Mulan catches sight of them as they make their way to the city, intent on capturing the Emperor. At the Imperial City, Mulan is unable to convince Shang um, about Shan Yu's intentions, and the Huns capture the Emperor, then seize the palace. Uh, with Mulan's help, Yao, Ling, and Qian Po pose as concubines and are able to enter the palace with the help of Shang. They defeat Shan Yu's men. As Shang prevents Shan Yu from assassinating the Emperor, Mulan lures the Hun leader in onto the roof where she engages him in solo combat. 
Meanwhile, acting on Mulan's instructions um, and signal, Mushu fires a bundle of firework rockets to Shan, at Shan Yu. The fireworks strike Shan Yu and kill him. Mulan is praised by the Emperor and the assembled inhabitants of the city, who bow to her in an unprecedented honor. While she accepts the Emperor's crest and Shan Yu's sword as gifts, she politely declines his offer to be his advisor and asks to return to her family. She returns home and presents these gifts to her father, but he is more overjoyed to have Mulan back safely. Having become enamored with Mulan, Shang soon arrives under the pretext of returning her helmet, but accepts the family's invitation to stay for dinner. Mushu is granted a position as a Fa family guardian by the ancestors amid a returning celebration. Um, we should also talk about the fact that the movie opens with Mulan's family trying to prepare her to meet a husband and get married. And at the end, the grandmother is thrilled that Shang has showed up for dinner and is going to hook the two up, obviously. And that's the story. So let's talk about the music. That's what we're all here. We're all here to talk about the soundtrack and the music. Um, Mulan was released by Walt Disney Records on June 2nd, 1998, and the album featured songs by Matthew Wilder and David Zippel. And the score was composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. Vocalists included Leah Salonga, Dan Donny Osmond, 98 Degrees, Jazz Coleman, Stevie Wonder, and Christina Aguilera. The album peaked at number 24 on the Billboard 200, which is pretty good, on July 18th of 98, uh, concurrent to the film's run in theaters. No singles from the album charted in the Hot 100, although Aguilera's cover of Reflection did reach number 15 on the old adult contemporary chart. The album was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Music or Comedy Score, although it lost to Shakespeare in Love, and a lot of things lost to Shakespeare in Love that year. A limited additional promotional album featuring Jerry Goldsmith's complete score was also released and became a collector's item. I have not heard that album and would love to hear it. So, the first number in it is called Honor to Us All. I love this musical number. Um, it is absolutely brilliant, uh, and it is about getting uh, Fa Mulan, or Mulan, prepared to be a bride to meet a possible husband. Uh, and I just think it's hysterical. This is what you give me to work with. Well, honey, I've seen worse. We're gonna turn this sow's ear into a silk purse. They do a great job in this song, uh, Matthew Wilder and David Zippel, of keeping that Chinese feel, that Chinese sound. And one of the ways they do that is that they use the pentatonic scale, uh, which we'll talk about in just a moment, uh, but to keep that sound going. But they also use very traditional-sounding Chinese instruments to keep it very true um, to cultural Chinese, keep it connected, um, because this is a very traditional process that they're going through to get Mulan prepared. Um, the singers in this are brilliant. It is Marnie Nixon and Beth Fowler. 
and Leah Salonga, along with a uh, chorus of people. Um, but so good. Beth Fowler, you may know from Broadway. Um, and Marnie Nixon, you probably know because she was the singing voice in West Side Story, in My Fair Lady, and The King and I, uh, among many others, she dubbed her singing voice in. So they got great people to sing this. So let's listen to a little bit of this, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what a pentatonic scale is. We have you washed and dried, trimmed and polished till you glow with pride. Trust my recipe for instant bride. You'll bring honor to us all. Wait and see when we're through. Boys will gladly go to war for you. With good fortune and a great hairdo. Paste with good breed and a tiny waist. You'll bring honor to us all. We all must serve our Okay, I've moved to the piano so that we can talk a little bit about the pentatonic scale, and I can tell you a little bit about it. Um, the Western scale, the Western scale that we're used to hearing things and all the songs that most of the songs, not all the songs, most of the songs that we listen to are based on an eight-note scale, and that scale goes like this. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. And if you remember, uh, do a deer from Sound of Music is all about that scale. She's teaching the kids to sing using that eight note scale. Now a pentatonic scale is a five note scale as opposed to an eight note scale. And it sounds like this. Um, I would guess that a lot of us heard about that scale when we were in elementary school music. Um, we may not remember it. I, I think I remember pretty pretty clearly about it, but I'm also a music nerd, so that would make sense that I would remember it. But uh, that is a five-note scale that Eastern music, a lot of Eastern music, is based off of. Um, and if you want a visual representation of that, it's the black keys on a keyboard. It's all the black keys create a pentatonic scale. just playing the black keys there and that's all so that's what's happening with the pentatonic scale um, and this is what they use in uh, you'll bring honor to us all you'll bring honor to us all I know that's not the same key that they sing it in but um, that's the easiest way for me to play it because it's all the black notes uh, anyway so there you go so in traditional Western music we have this scale an eight note scale And in Eastern music, we have this scale, the pentatonic scale.
with good taste. Calm. Obedient. Who work fast-paced with good breeding and a tiny waist. You'll bring honor to us all. I love that you can really hear the frustration uh, in these women trying to get Mulan ready for uh, meeting a man and getting her married off. And Mulan is obviously not interested at all in what they have to say. I just think it's really well done, really well performed, and really well thought out to set up who Mulan is, what the goal is, and what these women uh, want from her, even though she may not want it herself. The next piece is called Reflection. Um, it is such a beautiful piece. It's the I Want song of this movie because it's really Mulan talking about what it is that she wants. And what she wants is she wants to find herself. Who is she? Uh, what is she about? She obviously doesn't fit the image of what they want her to be um, and, you know, is not happy about it. She wants to make everybody happy and proud, but she knows that this makeup on her face and these uh, clothes are not who she truly is. Um, and she just, like I said, wants to make everybody proud. Leah Salonga does a beautiful job in this. You can really hear the longing of discovery from her and trying to find out who she is. Who's this woman in the mirror? Who's this person looking back in the mirror? Uh, let's listen to a little bit of it. Look at me. I will never pass for a perfect bride Or a perfect daughter Can it be I'm not meant to play this part Now I see That if I were truly to be myself I would break my family's heart with the lyrics, uh, look at me, I will never pass for a perfect bride or a perfect daughter. Um, and that's after she's been with the matchmaker and is looking in the mirror. So beautiful. And Leah Salonga does a really nice job. The next song on the recording is I'll Make a Man Out of You, uh, sung by Donny Osmond. Um, and it was written to replace the song, We'll Make a Man Out of You, after the original songwriter Stephen Schwartz departed uh, to work on The Prince of Egypt at DreamWorks. Osman had auditioned for the role of Hercules, uh, a role for which he ultimately was turned down by the directors because they felt he sounded too old. They cast Osman as the singing voice of Shang because his singing voice is similar to Wan's speaking voice. An up-tempo military-style song, I'll Make a Man Out of You, is performed by Shang during the, during the rigorous training montage, I'm having trouble saying that word, which the young, inexperienced soldiers attempt to justify their worth. Uh, the song's title is ironic because Mulan, who relies on intelligence, ultimately proves more competent than her male comrades, and Luke, including Captain Lee Shang, uh, which takes a liking to her. Let's get down! to business to defeat the Huns Did 
number is really used um, as a boot camp sequence, but it's also used to compress time. It's a more compelling way than solely dialogue to be used. Um, and the scene begins with Sh Shang shooting an arrow into the top of a tall pole and challenging all of the soldiers to retrieve it, um, each of whom fail until Mulan eventually succeeds. Of course, because she's the hero of our movie. The song really plays off the fact that Mulan is a woman, is a girl, uh, there. I mean, it opens with, let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Did they send me daughters when I asked for sons? Um, I mean, how much more straightforward can you be uh, about Mulan being a woman in this number? This number, uh, along with the next number on the film track, A Girl Worth Fighting For, both really take an ironic look at the fact that Mulan is a girl. For a long time we've been marching off to battle In a thundering herd we feel a lot like cattle Like a pounding beat Our aching feet are easy to ignore Hey! Think of instead a girl worth fighting for that's what I said, a girl worth fighting for. I want a paler than the moon, with eyes that shine like stars. My girl will marvel at my strength, adore my battle scars. I couldn't care less what she'll wear or what she looks like. It all depends on what she cooks like. Beef, pork, chicken, I love it. It's performed by members of the army um, as they wonder what sort of woman they will marry after their service is complete uh, and the role they will have in the family. Um, it's so good. It's been said that it sounds a little bit like South Pacific's There Is Nothing Like a Dame. I'm not sure that I totally agree with that, but I, I, I get the get the connection. Um, and it sticks with the stereotypical gender themes as they promote the idea that guys have all the fun fighting and killing. The song is hysterical. Uh, it is also sung by not such great singers, specifically Harvey Firestein. But he is so good um, that you don't even really care because uh, he totally gets it right. He's not pleasant to listen to, but I love Harvey Firestein. He's an amazing actor, and he totally gets the point across. And it's so cute to listen to Mulan in this try to convince the men that there are other things that a woman can be besides pretty and cook and... Um, you know, servitude, very cute, with her male voice trying to convince them that they can have a brain if they want. You know, a woman can have a brain and maybe like her for that. Uh, so good. I love it. Uh, it's very fun, very funny. It's funny to hear her fight them. Uh, so let's listen to a little bit of A Girl Worth Fighting For. My girl will think I have no faults, that I'm a major fine. Uh, how about a girl who's got a brain Who always speaks her mind? Nah! My manly ways and turn of phrase Are sure to throw her He thinks he's such a lady killer During the credits of the movie We get the song True to Your Heart 
which was a single that was released. Um, it's by 98 Degrees and Stevie Wonder. So good. It really hits the point of this movie where you need to be true to your heart uh, and true to who you are, and then everything will work out the way that it's supposed to. Um, you know, I just don't think that it gets any better than Stevie Wonder, honestly. Um, his harmonica playing on this is so spectacular, and 98 Degrees sound great on this song. Does it fit the movie? Yeah, I, I might argue no, but the, thematically it does. And I think it does a nice job of kind of wrapping up what the moral tale of this movie is about. It is just fun and has a great groove to it and good to listen to. And it makes you feel good as you're leaving. So let's listen to a little bit of True to Your Heart. Let your heart decide. Baby, I see a future and it starts Now that we've talked about the songs, uh, and we've talked a little bit about the pentatonic scale, and we kind of know what the thematic elements of this movie are, I really want to talk about the score um, that was written, Jerry Goldsmith's score. When I first listened to this score, I wasn't sure what I thought about it. I felt like it was very repetitive, which in some cases can be good. But upon listening to it later, uh, you know, a second or third listening, I really began to appreciate what he was doing. First of all, I love that he uses traditional instruments throughout, especially the traditional drums. Um, if there's something ominous happening, he is right there with the drums pounding away, um, or the rattling instruments that they have. Anything that is typical Eastern, specifically Chinese, um, he is using it. Uh, he uses a lute many times in this uh, score beautifully. Um, it adds an eeriness. Sometimes it adds a sentimental quality. Um, just beautifully, beautifully done and really, really appreciated. And you can hear his devotion in this score to the pentatonic scale all the way through to that tonal quality um, all the way through this score from the beginning of the movie clear to the end. And that is a really difficult thing to do as a composer because you really limit yourself five notes um, with a little variance here and there, but to get all these different nuanced themes and melodies out of it, uh, just beautifully, beautifully done. The other thing I love that he did is that he uses the whole orchestra. There is no doubt they are playing with a full orchestra in this, and it is, they did not chintz on any of it. And that is spectacular. It's not electronic. It's not faked in any way. It is a full orchestra to the point where you can hear in the room the resonance in the room from that full orchestra. It is so wonderful. 
I understand that it's not everybody's favorite score, and it's not everybody's cup of tea. I get that. Uh, and I will be honest with you, it's not something I would just put on just to listen to. It is not that type of music to me. But I do appreciate the beauty and the skill of what he did. Let's listen to a little bit of, um, on the recording, they have a suite from Mulan. And let's listen to a little bit of that and see if you can pick out that pentatonic scale that we were talking about. And you can hear those traditional drums and instruments in this piece. So, let's just have a taste of all the other little pieces that he that they've got on the recording. I'm not going to play a lot of each. Uh, they all sound very similar um, and have similar flavor and style, but I think some are better than others, um, as in any score. But they all hold on to that tradition and that sound that Jerry Goldsmith was going for. I really, really, truly appreciate that in his work in this movie. So beautifully done. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of Attack at the Wall, and we'll talk about it after. first minute of Attack at the Wall, you can really hear some of those traditional sounds and especially percussion sounds that they were going for. Let's listen to a little bit of the end of Attack from the Wall, just a brief clip, because uh, I think he does some beautiful work instrumentally at the end also.
at the end of Attack at the Wall, he really does a great job of creating something that sounds both familiar and yet different, something strange and exotic. Uh, I think it's so, so wonderfully done. So the next piece is Mulan's Decision. And I have to say that all of these clips uh, that they put on the CD are really long clips for like what we think of as just the scene in the movie. Um, when I listen to Mulan's Decision, it goes through a lot of changes. And I don't remember the scene being that way. And and maybe it's because I think of the scene as she makes the decision and then she goes. And in this clip, they're talking about the whole process when she you know, takes her grandfather, her father's armor and um, decides to leave and takes the conscription and, and all of that. Uh, but really long clips. But let's listen to a little bit of it because I think that it's got some really nice moments and I think it should be heard. So in the first minute or so of that piece, you can really hear at the beginning of it, you can really hear that pentatonic scale. Um, you can hear that lute that they use in there, or I'm not sure what the instrument is. Um, I need to look that up uh, and find out. Uh, but the way that it bends tones and really sets a mood and atmosphere uh, for the scene and then goes into a much more rhythmic portion, still using very traditional sounds and instruments. Uh, and that's just a minute's worth of that piece of music. Really beautifully done. I'm going to play a selection of Blossoms, uh, another track on the CD that's towards the end, last minute and a half or so, probably not a full minute and a half that I'm going to play. Uh, but what I want you to listen to is I really want you to listen to how he sets the mood. He does this amazing effect with the string section. Uh, and brings them in, um, and they just gradually crescendo or get louder. Um, and it's so incredibly ominous at the same time. I love it. And then he uses the percussion to really set the mood and really let you know that something is happening here, uh, something maybe not so good. Um, and then he brings that in that incredible brass section on this recording. They are so good. 
I just love listening to this brass section. Anything they play is so good. The horns are brilliant. The trombones are so full and can be so bombastic at times. Really great. And you get a lot of that in this section of the music. So um, we're just going to listen to a last part of the last piece of Blossoms uh, to get some of that flavor that he's created. In the Hun's Attack, we're going to listen to the very beginning of the first 30 or 45 seconds of it. Um, what I love here is Jerry's use of the woodwinds. Um, he is really utilizing the whole orchestra throughout this whole score. It's so wonderful to hear. He really treated it as though it's a symphonic piece and not just a movie score. Beautifully done. And um, really a shame that it didn't win best score um, as I listened to it more because the work that he did was really, really spectacular. But I love how he passes it around the woodwinds here, and especially the lower woodwinds, which don't usually get a lot of love uh, in recordings or in symphonic works. They'll get featured every once in a while, but he, but he really gives them some love in this clip, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, so here's about the thir- first 30 to 45 seconds of the Hun's attack, um, just to kind of get a flavor of those woodwinds that he uses and so brilliantly utilizes. last piece of the score that we're going to listen to is called The Burned Out Village, and we're going to listen to a piece right before about the three-minute mark uh, and a little bit past that. And what I want you to really listen to is I want you to listen to how he uses the violins and the violas 
to really make the orchestra cry. I feel like the emotion that he pulls out through this score is really so beautiful. Um, and especially this moment, I feel like he uses the full sound of the strings unabashedly to bring the emotion of sorrow to us. The, the violins are just crying in their upper range, and it's so mournful and sad and beautiful at the same time. Um, really reminds me a lot of Adagio for Strings by Barber, uh, which is another great piece that I love. But I really think that he does just such a beautiful job with it. You go into a burnt-out village. If every, if you remember the scene, they go into the burnt-out village, and she picks up a doll that has been left there. Um, and it really is beautiful, just beautifully played and beautifully composed and arranged. Uh, so let's listen to a little bit of that. So that's it for this episode of the Magic Music Review. I hope you've enjoyed episode three, where we talked about the music of Mulan. Really, I think an underappreciated film as far as the Disney canon of films go, especially in the Disney Renaissance. Um, if you've noticed, we're kind of getting a theme here. I feel like Tangled was also underappreciated. You can find me on Facebook at Magic Music Review. On Facebook, you can find me on Twitter. I'm the Disney Music Dude. And you can find my website at magicmusicreview.com. So reach out and let's have a conversation about music and about Disney music and what we like and what we don't like. It's okay if you don't agree with me. Uh, everybody has a different opinion about what they think. And that's the joy of what we're listening to. Until next time, I'm going to leave you with a little bit of Christine Aguilera's reflections just to listen to and play us out. And I look forward to talking to you next time on the Magic Music Review. Talk to you then. I am now in a world where I have to hide my heart and what I believe in but somehow I will show the world what's inside my heart and be love for
it's time to say goodbye to all our company. soon. Why? Because we like you. Hey.